Uh, it's great to see you all today, especially um, with all this wind. I feel like Judy Garland's about to turn up and tell us we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, but what keeps you busy? Maybe you've got a full-time job, maybe you've retired and you're using your time for ministry around the place, or maybe you're like me, a full-time student who just rocked up here at Bexley North a couple of months ago, and now I'm already on holidays. It's a pretty good life, let me say that. Well, we all have different things keeping us busy, but for a second, I want you to imagine that you are a civil engineer. See, civil engineers have an important job. They've usually done years of education, they've gotten trained, and they have qualifications to make them qualified for the job so that when they design a bridge or design a building, it won't crumble beneath us as we walk through it. But let's say, instead of getting someone who has all the qualifications, who's done years and years and years of training... I just get some random eight-year-old to do the job instead. It would go terribly, wouldn't it? The buildings, the bridges would crumble, the kids would crumble under the expectations as well. And so in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1, we should be terrified about what's about to happen. Take a look, 2 Kings 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. They literally gave responsibility for the whole kingdom of Judah to some eight-year-old kid. Look, when I was eight years old, I couldn't even open a packet of two-minute noodles by myself. How is this kid going to rule the kingdom? But with this guy, things actually turn out pretty good. Before we get there though, think about what's been going on in the book of two kings so far. For the most part, we've had bad king after bad king, one or two decent kings in there. And a question that two kings has been asking over and over again is this, is this new guy the guy? Is this the king who will do what is good and right, who will rule forever in the line of David as God promised. Is this the Messiah? And in today's passage, the answer here is promising. Take a look in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2. He, that's Josiah, did what was right in the Lord's sight And walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or to the left. Josiah, like so many kings before him, unlike so many kings before him, does the right thing. He sticks with God. In fact, in chapter 22, verse 25, it says he was the best king that Israel had prior to the exile in Babylon. This might be the guy that they've been waiting for. So let's take a look at his life. From chapters 22 and 23, there are really two things that demonstrate that Josiah might be the guy, the king. And so let's start 
with Josiah finding the law. Take a look starting in verse 3 of chapter 22. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshalam, to the Lord's temple, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, so that he may total up the money brought into the Lord's temple, the money the doorkeepers have collected from the people. It is to be put into the hands of those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Do you see what's going on here? Uh, Josiah wants to fix the temple after so many of the last few kings have just given it a good beating. So he gets the high priest to go through some of the rooms of the temple to find the money to pay the workers who are going to restore it. And at this point, as a king, you have to admit, he's already doing a pretty good job. But let's see what happens next. While the high priest is looking, take a look at what he finds, starting in verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest told Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Imagine this. After years and years of kings neglecting God's word, it's come to the point where it's had to be found at the back of the temple. Things were so bad that they literally had to clear out rooms of other stuff to be able to find it. And now, God's law is read to the young 26-year-old King Josiah. Take a look in 22 verse 10. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. So what will Josiah do? If he's anything like most of the kings so far that we've been reading about, he'll just blow it off. The kings in the past would say things like, mate, this book, hundreds of years old, it's not relevant anymore. Any God who says all of that needs to get out of our society and let us live. Get rid of that book. No, what Josiah does is so much more radical. Look in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He's not arrogant. He's not dismissive. He tears his clothes in anguish. He knows that because of all that they have done, God's wrath is coming and he repents he falls at the mercy of god and repents and now look at what happens next in verse 12 then he commanded hilkiah the priest son of ahikam son of shaphan akbor son of micaiah shaphan the court secretary and the king's servant asiah Go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people and all Judah, about the instruction in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that has been kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. Josiah sends his top officials to go find out what the fate of the nation is. 
And at this point, all he knows is that he and the rest of Judah are deserving of God's wrath. They're right in the firing line. And this is what the prophetess at the time says, starting in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to provoke me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. Say this to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard you. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. God's message to Josiah is this. Judah has ignored me. They've sinned against me greatly, and they will be punished. But you, Josiah... You've heard my words and you have repented and I will save you from destruction. And God doesn't choose to show mercy because Josiah tried to fix the temple at the beginning of the passage or because of the things he's about to do. No, God shows mercy to Josiah because God is faithful to the promise that he will forgive those who repent and turn back to him. And right now, I just want to take a slight detour uh, because I, th- I think it's helpful to think about the place of the Bible in our lives because Josiah's repentance shows us a right response to God's Word, particularly in light of James 1. It should come up on the screen. This is what it says. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. When we engage deeply with God's word, we see ourselves for who we truly are. Because the Bible... It points out the wrong things that we do. It shows us the deepest sinful desires of our hearts. And it shows us our new life in Christ. And that's why sometimes it hurts to read the Bible. It's like the Dettol antiseptic for our heart. When I was at school, I would run around the playground and as much as my teachers told me not to do it, I would always run on the concrete and I would fall over and I'd either get a gash or a graze down my knee. And so I'd go to the school office and they'd look at it and they'd go, all right, I know what we need here. 
and they'd get out the dead old antiseptic and they would always say this same phrase. This might sting a little bit. And then they would proceed to just burn my leg as if they had no, no compassion on me at all. It would just hurt, hurt that open wound. Now, when we engage with the Bible, when we reflect on it, meditate on it, Josiah shows us that it can do more than just a little sting on the knee. And at times it hurts because it shows us that without Jesus, our heart's deepest desires, the things that we have done, are all mangled by sin. And God wants us to change in light of his salvation. The Bible points us back in the right direction, but that isn't always pain-free. And just like dental antiseptic, the Bible is good for us. See, people at work, people at the shops, maybe even people at the gym, I I obviously don't go there, so I'm not quite sure, Um, but people at the gym, uh, at work, the shops, They'll say the Bible needs to be thrown out with last week's leftovers. It's outdated. It's mean-spirited. It's harmful. But what Jesus says is that that thinking is just heading the wrong way. Jesus doesn't say move away from the Bible. He says take it more seriously than you would ever think to. Take a look at Matthew 5.19. It should come up on the screen. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, the greatest man who ever walked the earth, says, take the Bible seriously. Don't break its commands and don't teach others to do so either. And over and over and over again, like it'll show us that like Josiah, we haven't lived up to God's standard. But there is one who did completely and he gave up his life so that we could be shown mercy like Josiah. Every time we read the Bible, We're reminded of God's saving mercy and his grace in Jesus. And it calls us to change. So read the Bible. Now, let me just say, I'll be honest here. I know this in my head and in my heart, and I say this, but it's not reflected in my personal Bible reading habits. And I wonder if it's reflected in yours. Josiah's response to the word, his tearing of his shirt, which I won't demonstrate here, uh, it brings that dead old sting for me, and maybe for you, because I know that I haven't been taking Bible reading seriously in my personal life. And I've got all my excuses as well, uh, like the fact that each day I go to Bible college, I'll study it at college, I'll do it there. Maybe you've got your excuses as well. But Josiah's response shows us we can't hide the Bible from our lives. We need it each and every day. And so here's my plan. 
at least for this week, and hopefully from there I'll be able to move on to something a, a, a bit more hardcore. But this is what I'm going to do this week. Each week I'm going to take a Bible and I'm going to read one column, just one column of the Bible, and I'm going to ask a couple of questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about humanity? What does it say about God and how he saves us? And what does it say about how God wants me to live? I'm really hoping that it'll just be a simple way for me to engage with it and think through how the Bible shapes my life. And so why don't you give that a go as well? If you're looking for a way to get stuck into reading the Bible a bit more, why don't try that as well? And we can even chat through it. Uh, Let me know if you're keen to have a go and we can help each other out, hold each other accountable. It'll be a good time. Anyway, let's get back to Josiah and we'll pick it up in chapter 23 thinking about Josiah's repentance. The first thing that Josiah does after finding out this information is he renews the covenant. What Josiah does at this point is say, God, we want to come back to living your way. So he gathers everyone and he reads the book of the law again. And do you see what he promises? Take a look in verse 3 of chapter 23. Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees and his statutes with all his heart, with all his mind and with all his heart and to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. This is huge. Think about all the kings that we've had in two kings so far good and bad. None of them have gone this far, making promises in front of the nation to God to keep God's commands. And it's not just empty words either. Take a look at the reforms Josiah makes throughout chapter 23. You can read it again later. I'm just going to blast through them real quickly now because there's so many. Verse 4 of chapter 23, he burns all the idols. Verse 5, he does away with idolatrous priests. Verse 6, he burns Asherah poles for the worship of other gods. Verse 7, he tears down the houses of the cult prostitutes. Verse 10, he defiled Tophet to get rid of child sacrifice. Verse 11, he does away with horses dedicated to other gods. Verse 14, he gets rid of more Asherah poles and more idols. And finally, in verse 15, he even tears down the altar at Bethel set up by the worst king of the northern kingdom. He's going outside of Judah, outside of his own kingdom, to bring these reforms back in the land of Israel. Josiah is finally the king that takes sin seriously. This is drastic action. Think about the surrounding nations. These Asherah poles, these idols, these horses dedicated to gods are these other nations' gods. But what Josiah does is so right. He takes drastic action to get rid of these things. And this ought to be our response to sin too. Take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 29 up on the screen. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body 
than for your whole body to be thrown into, into hell. Jesus says here that the things that cause us to sin need to be cut off and removed from our lives. Take drastic action. If it's your hand, cut off your hand and throw it away. If it's your eye, pull out your eye and throw it away. If it's your mobile phone, take it out of your pocket and throw it away. If it's your job, quit it and throw it away. If it's your sinful heart, have Jesus cut it off and throw it away. And like Josiah, we need to deal with sin seriously. What are the things of this world causing you to sin? Is it money? Is it alcohol? Is it pleasure? Is it your possessions? Is it the things you have? Your postcode? Cut them off. Throw them away. Don't let them drag you away from Jesus and into hell. And when we look at this approach to sin, we come back to our question, don't we? Is Josiah the guy? Is he the king? Because here we see him sticking to the ways of the Lord, not turning to the right or to the left. Everything he has done has been for the glory of God. Is this the guy? Is this the promised king? We'll take a look at 23 verse 28. The rest of the events of Josiah's reign, along with all his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. During his reign, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, marched up to help the king of Assyria at the Euphrates River. King Josiah went to confront him, and at Megiddo, when he saw Necho, he killed him. Josiah dies, and that's it. And in that way, he's just like all of the kings who've come before him, dead in a grave. And Josiah was a great king. He loved God's law and he took sin seriously. He took drastic action against sin. But in the end, he died. And the wrath of God was still coming on Judah and still coming on us. which just forces us to see that Jesus is the greatest king we could ever imagine. Jesus, the king who as a child at 12 years old spoke God's words in the temple. Jesus, the king who was so obedient to God's law, never had to have that shirt-tearing moment of repentance. Jesus, the king who in Philippians 2 was so obedient to God, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross. Jesus, the king who took sin so seriously that he took the wrath of God so that we could have mercy and have our sin cut off from us and thrown away. Jesus, the king who didn't just die, but who rose again and lives now seated at the right hand of God, ruling for eternity. This is the guy 
This is the king. Josiah might have been a good king, but Jesus is the greatest king, the one whose word is worth reading, the one who shows us to take sin seriously, the one who lived in perfect obedience to God's law his whole life, the one who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he could offer mercy to sinful people like myself, to you and to Josiah. And so that like Josiah, we might repent and receive forgiveness. The one who was raised from the dead and lives eternally. The one who rules as the king forever and is coming back to be with his people again. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for Josiah. He was a great king. And when we read of his life, we're reminded of your good, goodness and faithfulness. You have promised that you will forgive those who repent. And we ask that in these words uh, today that we've read, you would shape our hearts and minds to be more like Josiah. Lord, we ask that you might cause us to engage deeply with your word, not just to tick a box, but that so we might see our forgiveness in Jesus and have that dead old antiseptic sting in our hearts, and that we might pursue your kingdom and your righteousness. God, help me and others who want to work on that, and give us time and space to make it happen. Thanks that we have such a great demonstration of repentance in Josiah as well. God, you take seriously sin seriously, and we should too. Give us the passion and heart to conquer sin through your spirit and make known to us the areas of life that we need to cut off and throw away. And finally, Lord, we thank you that we have a glorious King Jesus who didn't die for good, but a King who conquered death, who lived completely according to your ways and who offers mercy and forgiveness to those who repent. The great Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.